1: Hello and uh, welcome to the latest episode of Something Rhymes With Purple. Um, I'm sitting in my sitting room opposite the lovely, wonderful, erudite and charming... Oh no, it's actually not him. It's Giles Brandreth. (laughs) Hi, Giles.
0: Susie, it's lovely to be here. It's a little bit chilly, to be honest. Thank you for lending (laughs) me the jumper that I'm wearing. The wind is whistling down your chimney.
1: It is. It's a very blustery day um, here in Oxford. But um, yeah, I I would like to... To fire but I'm not sure that would go down very well with our producers the noise of that crackling in the log in, so in the fireplace
0: the wind we could be doing this al fresco yes. what's the origin of al fresco
1: al fresco in the freshness from uh you know outside in other words obviously from uh Italian a bit of a modern riff on that which is if you eat lunch at your uh your desk in front of your computer you are eating al desco very good. But no we are our fresco is really relevant actually because we are here today to talk about the language of nature one of my absolute favorite subjects Ooh. um the vocabulary of nature just i feel is kind of ebbing away slightly and it needs to be uh, pulled back particularly for our kids and there's been so much debate about it recently which we'll come to in terms of you know the vocabulary of nature dropping dropping out of junior dictionaries um and whether or not that's a, that's a good thing but hopefully we will touch on some of the beautiful, resonant, evocative vocabulary that we have.
0: So you're taking us today. for a walk in the woods.
1: I am. Are you a wood lover?
0: I was brought up in a town. I, I'm happy. I'm a townie.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, occasionally, I've been to the country, uh, not for very long. I like the idea of going into a wood if there are bluebells there. Ah, oh, beautiful. But that's about it. You're I never an urbanite. You're
1: urbane.
0: I can't see the wood for the trees. Okay, uh, good. What's you're the origin good. of that?
1: Can't see the wood for the trees. Um, Oh, gosh, that I think has been in uh, English for quite a long time. And the idea is obviously that you can't see the whole picture because there are, you can't see the whole forest or the whole wood because of the trees that are standing in the way. Personally, I love trees. There is a word for a lover of trees and a lover of woods and forests. Um, A lover of trees is a dendrophile and a lover of forests is um, a pneumophilist. Isn't that beautiful?
0: What's the difference between a wood and a forest?
1: Yeah, you know, i'm actually genuinely not sure i just imagine that a forest is much denser and larger um if you want the official dictionary definition i can give it to you. it's not something i've ever pondered before do you know that's what i love about my job is that every single day there will be at least questions where i think i really should know the answer to that and i don't okay so wood originally meant it comes from german and it meant a tree And then it was applied to a kind of collective, a collection of of trees and a grove or a cop. So it's always been slightly uh, smaller. French uh, gave us forest from their fire. So that would have come over after 1066 with the Normans. And it's an extensive tract of land. So I think it is all about size.
0: As ever. Yeah. All comes back down to size.
1: But actually, that forest, um, I would just throw in here, um, ultimately goes back to the Latin, as so many French words do. Um, forest, meaning out of doors. And that idea of being outside gave us foreigner as well. Foreigner goes back to that same root.
0: Forest yes. and foreigner, have yes. the same root? Yes. Meaning?
1: A foreigner is somebody who sort of, other, and so outside the kind of general community, they are strangers. And a
0: forest
1: is? A forest is, just goes back to that Latin for outdoors or outside. Gosh. Yeah.
0: You'll be excited to know that in a newspaper this week, we have been described, Something Rhymes With Purple, our podcast, as a trailblazing podcast.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: which is, I think, rather flattering and exciting and delightful. Mm. they particularly like you it must be said, but I got a bit of a mention too. But I was then intrigued by the phrase trailblazing.
1: What's yes. the origin of that? Oh, I love I the story behind this because, as you know, I'm a great advocate of American English, um, which is not a new infestation. There are some things I don't like, but some things I absolutely adore. And trailblazing goes back to the early settlers, so the, the people who set sail on the Mayflower or just after, and um, had to mark out their own settlements literally go through the woods in order to find areas where they could set up habitations um, so my neck of the woods goes back to those very early days where presumably they described the land that they settled on according to its shape and it looked like an animal's neck so they called it my neck of the woods they also used to go through the forest and they would chip off a bit of bark from the trees in order to show the trail that they were taking so that others could follow and find them. And so they were literally, those were called blazes because they shone brightly. Um, so those oh. exposed bits of flesh on the bark of a tree were the blazes that would then show you the trail. So that was it. The, they were the first trail blazes. So on a horse's. Snout. The blaze is the is white the blaze, the yeah, white thing on the front the of a horse. Yeah, and a blazer it, used to be incredibly white, and uh, the, the very first blazes were very brightly coloured. So it's not blazers.
0: the same as a blazing fire.
1: Yeah, I think the idea is shining brightly. So, Always. A, a blaze the in, the, in the wood,
0: they would create a blaze on a tree and that would show you where the trail led. Yeah. And
1: then, then you trail could try a
0: blazer. It. How yeah. marvellous. Or, did ne- you mention the word nemophilus?
1: Yes, a lover of woods and forests.
0: And what's the origin of that?
1: Uh, that is, in Latin, nemos means no one, so um, finding Nemo. Um, I don't know if the filmmakers meant that as a pun on, um, you know, Nemo meaning nothing or nobody. But nemos in Greek means uh, woods, woodland, so they took it from the Greek. And, and philo, meaning loving, is, of course, from the Greek as well.
0: So it's nothing to do with nothing, it's to do with wood.
1: It's nothing to do with nothing and everything to do with beautiful trees. Am I
0: right that by hook or by crook has got some kind of forest connection?
1: Um, it does, yes. So um, when William the Conqueror came over after 1066, he established the feudal system, which a lot of people uh, will know about. So um, he confiscated the, the holdings of existing Saxon landowners and then he distributed them amongst his Norman barons etc and he granted them um, tracts of land etc and then those tracts of land will be divided up um, into various um, holdings and by hook or by crook is intimately linked to that because the forest that belonged to a manor would then be set aside for the lords or the barons hunting and the sort of humble peasants which was a neutral term in those days were forbidden any activity there, including uh, there was no no hunting, nothing really. But there was an exception, and that was for the gathering of firewood. And they could basically gather dead wood that had fallen from the trees or wherever there were sort of small branches hanging low, they could lop them either with hooked poles um, or they could pull them down with the hooked poles, I suppose, and then lop them with their sickles, which were their crooks. And so by hook or by crook was um, an entitlement granted to peasants that they could collect firewood by those means. And it then eventually morphed into something by any means possible, by hook or by crook, I will get there.
0: And this goes back to the time of William the Conqueror, more yeah. than 1,000 years.
1: Yeah, but you'll find, like I sort said of in Devon, that the Bodmin Register of 1525 tells us that the Dinmure wood was ever open and common to the inhabitants of Bodmin to bear away on their backs the burden of lop, crop, hook, crook and bag wood. How it's great, isn't it?
0: And how do... In the wood, we have trees. Mm -hmm. The origin of the word tree is that interesting?
1: Tree is really interesting because tree is probably etymologically linked to true um with the idea of loyalty and steadfastness so you know steadfast is an oak tree um which is great so we think they share the same root i mean obviously there's so much in language that goes back to this idea of trees and um well, you longevity the word, or root. that's what i mean yeah it's it's great i love it in the branches um of language as well we talk about the various branches that came from those sort of ancient languages um you know, originally thousands of years ago so yeah we talk a lot in terms of trees which i which i love in fact there's been a really interesting debate now about how the vocabulary of the natural world has become really business-like and you know george mombiot who's a big environmental campaigning campaigner it. he's um you know, he he says that we should talk about not the environment, but we should talk about our natural world because the environment itself is quite kind of clinical. You've got sites of special scientific interest, which doesn't really inspire wonder, it should be sites of natural wonder. Um, and I think he's really right. I, I, I totally agree with him on this. I think you know, we are we are kind of sanitizing our vocabulary of the natural world. And I mentioned that big debate at the beginning as to whether. Dictionaries should still include words like bluebell and oak tree and cops and that kind of thing, when in fact they're not really being used by kids.
0: This the the issue here is that I think people who produce some publishers of children's dictionaries have got a limited number of words they can include, and therefore they need to include the words that children are using and might be needing to look up, and children are not needing to look up, as you say, blueberry or dandelion or yeah. some of these words... And that in fact,
1: they're looking up blackberry, but in the sense of a handheld device rather exactly. than the, the fruit. And that they are the opposite argument, um, and it's an age-old debate, and like, you know, it's really, really hard to kind of choose right or wrong out of this, because the other argument is that dictionaries, given that we have no academy in English, have a role in teaching and educating, and our children need to be educated in the natural world because of, you know, their future is at stake. So that's the other argument.
0: I was trying to explain to one of my grandchildren the other day about how you can use a buttercup to tell if you prefer margarine oh, yeah. to butter. And I explained, Oh, I
1: saw it. I, I, for take for the me, it was, how much do you like butter?
0: Ah, well... The problem was that the grandchild didn't know what margarine was. Okay. Shows you the spoiled life <laughs> they're leading. And also had no idea what a buttercup was. Aww. So so clearly the world has changed yeah, since of my Enid Blyton childhood of the 1950s. Of course. When I had little books like I Spy I, um, Flowers. Those I
1: Spy books. You can still get those, I think. They were yeah, fantastic. And you got
0: different points out of, you know, if you spied, Big Chief I Spy awarded you badges and points for spotting things. But the point is, a dictionary is there to serve. It's not necessarily there to educate, is it?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's so hard. When it comes to nature, I feel really torn because I will always say, you know, dictionaries reflect, they don't prescribe at all. But, you know, when it comes to the natural world, I can see the vocabulary kind of ebbing away because of, you know, the increasingly sort of urbanised life that we live. And that for me is really sad. It's a source of great sadness. Should we talk about some of the vocabulary Please. that we could I mean that, that you know how there's this sort of myth that the Inuit have well have hundreds and hundreds of words for snow. Yes. I say it's a myth. But actually the latest research I say it's been seesawing. The latest research is that in fact they do have quite a few names for snow because they need it. But what you might not know is that um academics have officially logged 421 terms for snow. In which language, do you you reckon?
0: Is it going to be something bizarre, like an (laughs) Arab language? No. Where they don't see snow at all? It's not bizarre,
1: actually. You could probably get there.
0: Oh, well, then it's going to be Icelandic. Scots.
1: Okay. Yeah, and they have the most wonderful... um, Just just a sneezel is to begin to rain or snow. So S-N-E-E-S-L, sneezel. And a skelf. A skelf is a really large snowflake to fiefle is to swirl of the snow this is of a niveous landscape so um, niveous meaning snowy hence nivea the white face cream by the way oh. um a slight snow shower and go, so it goes on i mean the most wonderful vocabulary that i'm hoping is still used in pockets of scotland because it's just really beautiful
0: okay any more of these words from the natural world because i want to ask you about trees oh. tree names
1: Tree notes, oh, gosh.
0: I'm, I I ought to explain to younger listeners that I'm here to service you because I know we have some <laughs> seven- and eight-year-olds who tune in. Yeah. Uh, are lost, and then occasionally I pipe up with a poem like this. Susie, don't worry if your job is small and your awards are few. Remember that the mighty oak was once a nut like you.
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> that's brilliant. So, um, oh, what's God. the origin of oak? Um, oak is, I think, probably... German, I mean, there's lots of um, what we call cognates, so similar words in different languages. In German, it's an Eicher, so it sounds quite similar, and we are essentially quite largely a Germanic language. So um, I think it goes back to that, but I love the idea of an acorn being sometimes written as an oak corn um, because people think it's a sort of, you know, a corn from the oak Mm. tree. In fact, the acre is linked to the acres of, grassland that you might see the sort of measurement of uh, of land and nothing to do with the oak in that particular word and and listeners will remember that egg corn was another mishearing of an acorn and that has spawned a whole new linguistic variety of things this is where we get things wrong in english and we'll say things like right from the gecko or uh she and her elk Oh, getting it wrong, etc. Anyway, that's a whole different subject.
0: So that's oak. Oh, but before we leave snow, I wanted to ask you, because I know you know the answer to this, blizzard.
1: Well, only because we were talking about uh, trailing a blaze and blazing a trail um, earlier. But blizzard is um, North American. It's one of the purely North American words that came over to us and actually originally meant a sharp blow or a knock, and it was onomatopoeic. Um, so you would you would flack somebody you would give them a blizzard and then the idea of a kind of violent snowstorm um came from that came from that Mm. from from
0: the knock came first and then the snowstorm came later
1: yeah it was a sock which is another another great word for a knockout blow
0: i take my grandchildren the closest we get to nature in our part of london is the uh, wetlands center in Barnes in southwest london lovely where there are acres and acres of Uh, wetlands with Mm -hmm. wonderful birds coming all over the world come to us, including um, barnacle geese. And that's how I introduce London-based children to nature.
1: Yes, barnacle geese is quite an interesting one, actually. Um, The barnacle goose breeds in the Arctic, doesn't it? In In the tiny tundra of Greenland. But its place of origin was a bit of a mystery. And people thought centuries ago that it hatched from a type of barnacle that would attach itself to objects floating in the water and had these sort of long, feathery threads kind of flowing from it. And so that presumably suggested the notion of plumage. So that was why it was called the barnacle geese, uh, goose, because it was thought to hatch on the sea. Oh wonderful. I have to tell you now, yes. one of my all-time favourite words, I'm sure I've told you this, Giles, um, but it's kind of linked in terms of hatching on the sea, um, to halcyon. You know, the halcyon, the old Kingfisher, an old name for the kingfisher. H a
0: l c y o n, as in Halcyon about, days. We
1: talk about Halcyon days, days of kind of serenity and stillness, because the Halcyon, the kingfisher, was thought in um, ancient myth to breed on the sea, and it said that the king of the wind, the god of the wind, would still the waters of the sea to allow the kingfisher chicks, the Halcyon chicks. To hatch. Isn't that beautiful? So that then the, the waters were calm and still. hulsing one of my all-time favourite words in English.
0: I've got a game to play with you. Okay, I'm going to tease it up, then we'll have the break. Um, is, out of interest, we're talking about geese, is a mongoose anything to do with a goose? Why is a mongoose called a goose?
1: Oh, well, that comes from um, a native language. No, nothing to do with a goose. It just happens to um, a coincidence. sound like... Um,
0: But it contains the word goose.
1: Yes. Well, you know how we have a great knack in English of not being able to pronounce a foreign word. And so just, you know, making it sound like anything that sounds familiar. So avocado, famously, um, is linked to the Spanish advocate, meaning a solicitor that you have nothing in common. But because that original Aztec word sounded like avocado, they thought, let's call it that. Jerusalem artichoke, nothing to do with Jerusalem. All of that stuff we cannot pronounce for our names. And the same with the mongoose. It comes from a Marathi, so an indigenous language, and it was mangoose US. But it sounded like goose to us, so why not?
0: Well, fine, they're totally different from goose, but let me tell you this. See if you know these words. Uh, Herpistine. Do you know what that means? Herpistine. Something to do with wolves? No. Oh. Believe it or not, it means mongoose-like. Oh my goodness. You know, ursine means like, like a bear. Yes. Uh, caprine means like goat. a goat. Yeah. Feline means and. like a cat. Well, I believe that herpestine means mongoose like. What do you think anserine means?
1: Anserine. I know this one. Anserine. Leave that one with me. I'll leave it with break. you. I'll give you a break.
0: Just before the break, I challenged you, Susie, to tell me what anserine means.
1: I know, I know this one, but I've completely forgotten to tell me.
0: It means goose-like, like Ah, like a goose. Okay. I've got a few more here, see if you know any of these. Anguine, Mm -mm. A-N-G-U-I-N-E, snake-like. Anguine, I've never heard that before. Well, lacertian, L-A-C-E-R-T-I-N. Lizard-like. Oh, you know what it is. How do you pronounce it then?
1: Lestertian, yeah.
0: Lestertian. Yeah. Very good. Leonine.
1: Lion. Of fish.
0: course. This is, I think, quite difficult. Lutrine.
1: Lutrine. How are you spelling that?
0: L-U-T-R-I-N-E.
1: No idea. Otter-like. Ooh, love that one. Love otters.
0: Murine.
1: Murine is mouse-like. Osine.
0: O-S-C-I-N-E. Mm.
1: Bird. Is that a bird? Well done.
0: It's songbird. Songbird. Now, where do these words come from? I mean, I've got a whole list of them, but did somebody just sit down and invent them? Can you do that?
1: Um, Well, it's a bit like collective nouns, uh, but they're all based on the, well, most of them are based on the Latin. Pavonine. Pavonine is like a peacock. And actually there's a great word, which is to pavonise, which is to strut about like a peacock.
0: Oh, I know that for you. um,
1: Which is brilliant.
0: Uh, One more. Porcine, you will know.
1: Pig. Yeah. Porcine and porcelain are linked because a porcelana in Italian was a, a cowry shell and the cowries used to look a little bit like the snout of a pig um, and because of the kind of smooth, polished shells, it became known for the kind of um, china that we know today.
0: So porcelain china is because a shell was pig-like in its appearance.
1: I'm pretty sure, yes. Words I'm sure I'll probably get lots wonderful. of letters, but I think so. And, and if yeah, you think mysteries.
0: you could invent... A word like one of these words, anguine, aquiline, asinine, caprine, why not share it with us? It's purple at somethingelse.com. Purple at somethingelse.com.
1: Can I give you some of my favourite nature words? Because I'm just itching to tell you. Um, I think I mentioned, I think um, one of my trio words might have been susserus or psittirism remember that yes because you said is it a silent piece?" so that's the rustling or whispering of leaves in the wind which i just think is beautiful in the summer petrichor another one i know our listeners love this one um whenever i do this on twitter people say yes i know that smell it's the smell of rain on hot earth after a long dry smell a spell um, and it goes back to the petra meaning stone in greek and then ichor which was the ethereal fluid thought to flow in the blood of the gods Beautiful. Mm, it's a kind of organic compound that sort of emanates from the earth. Shive light. Shive light is so poetic and it is um, the light. This is coined by Gerald Gerard Manley Hopkins. The poet. The poet. And shive light is the light that filters through the boughs of the canopy of the trees. Oh. Um, frondescence. Frondescence is the time when trees and plants unfurl their leaves. Frond? Yes. Frondescence. Beautiful.
0: Do you know? One of the secrets of being happy. There are seven secrets to being
1: happy. Oh, you've written a book about this.
0: And I'm going to share one of the secrets with you.
1: Okay.
0: To be a leaf on a tree. Because everybody in the world is an individual. You know, we all want to be unique. And we all are unique. And every leaf on every tree in the world is unique. There are no two leaves that are identical. But we need to be on a tree to be happy. A leaf of a tree, well, it feels free. That's quite exciting. But quite quickly, the free... Leaf, it floats to the ground and it dies. Do you remember
1: that fantastic Monty Python sketch where the leaves are falling off the tree and it's like, "Mummy, Daddy, yeah. about all the leaves"? It's, do you remember that? Oh, maybe it's just me. Well, it's, maybe it really, is just you. But it.
0: the point is, it it rings true because we need to be leaves attached to a tree, mm. an organism that is growing. You larger see, we than do ourselves. express
1: so much of human life in that metaphor of trees and branches, mm. family tree, branches of your family. So much of it is rooted, literally, again in in um, trees and forests. And so.
0: Do we have letters from our community? Have they written into oh, us? We this do. Week? I've
1: just got a couple more things for oh, you. Good. Glynn is the hazy appearance on the horizon at sea. How do you spell that? Glyn, G L I N. Simple as that. An Alpenglow, I'll leave you with that one. A rosy glow that you'll find suffusing snow-covered mountains. I peaks. thought
0: Alpenglow was what I had at breakfast. <laughs> well, that'd be what some people have after skiing
1: Alpenglow. or other activities.
0: Very good.
1: Um, right. Yes, letters. So we had uh, one question in from a tweeter who wishes to remain anonymous. But um, when I put out a request on Twitter for (laughs) any burning questions that people had, I mentioned burning or smouldering. And someone said, speaking of burning or smouldering, where do we get the word backlog? And I don't know if they were suspecting a literal origin, but the very first backlog was indeed a huge block of wood that would burn for days at the back of the hearth. It would just sort of stay there, smouldering forever. And the idea of of work that just builds up and builds up and builds up and just will never actually be extinguished.
0: What am I going to do about my backlog of emails? Because they are smouldering there. They are driving me mad. Are they? I used to sleep well. I don't. I'm now waking at five in the morning, brooding about absolutely nothing.
1: You have, yeah, you have the grief of the dawn, Matuto Lipia.
0: I do have Matuto Lipia.
1: Um, What you need to do is go for a walk. That's what you need to do. Leave your phone behind. But
0: I need to clear the backlog of emails.
1: Well, they just keep coming just in. a certain time, some people say just select all and delete, don't they? And then if anyone really wants to get in touch with you, they'll ask again.
0: <sighs> I think that's what we should do.
1: You might then miss a message from the National Lottery, of course. Right, I have another another question from Charlie Winston. Um, why can we be under or overwhelmed but never whelmed that goes back to our discussion ages ago now on orphaned negatives you remember the kempt's the couth's oh, yeah. all the positive counterparts of things like unkempt disgruntled ruthless and things they all well not all of them but most of them existed and whelmed is no different whelmed means to turn upside down or at least it did in um, middle english and to overwhelm was to capsize completely and to underwhelm was to not make much of an effect at all
0: so so, untrammeled, there was trammeled.
1: Well, there probably somebody asked us on Twitter whether you could mollish as well as demolish. And it's almost true because in Latin they had uh, molire, which meant to uh, to move, but it never moved into English. So can, it's kind of half and half. Can you monish
0: as well as admonish?
1: Can you monish? Yes, you can warn. It goes back to monere, which also gave us money. Money goes back to the goddess of the coin, uh, Moneta. And her name means both coining money. And warning. So money always carries a warning.
0: I want to tell the listeners she's doing this sight unseen. There are no notes or her. She's just, <laughs> it's just. I'm
1: just a nerd.
0: You're just. No, it's brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. Anything more?
1: Uh, how on earth did our spelling of Q come about, as in a queue of people lining up to listen to our podcast? Ha. Ah. J. Esther. Well, that goes back to the Normans. We talk about the Normans a lot. After 1066, thousands and thousands of words flooded into English. And we used to spell Q, C U E, like the snooker Q. Uh, but we took the French spelling, C, which means, which is spelled the same way as Q today. And that means the tail of an animal. And the idea is that a queue of people looks like the tail of an animal, undulating tail of an animal. Undulating. When I was
0: a child, I thought it was going to do the letter Q, having that little tail oh, yeah. on it. But it is. Just... Oh,
1: that's a lovely idea. But no. sorry about that thank you
0: i'll put that in my pipe and smoke it where's what's the origin of that putting it in your pipe and
1: smoking it um oed i have looked this one up um says 1800 and the way it's written it sounds like it was um a bit like high noon some kind of western from the american midwest that's all put that in your pipe and smoke it i like it so i think it's just an expression of disdain isn't it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna smoke it into fritters yeah any more letters Yes, from the great nameless Jane DeVoe Duggan. Um, when I grew up in Northampton, the general phrase for not being happy was Mardy. Is this a real word? Now I'm in the South Popular phrase is Gert lush I've heard that before. Um, yes, we've talked about Mardy before, haven't we, when we were talking about poetry. Um, but the origin of it is from Mard, M-A-R-R-E-D, the same idea of spoilings. If a document is marred, it's spoiled. The same thing with a child. If it's marred, it's been uh, it's been spoiled, rotten, overindulged, and so they grow up being mardy and sulky.
0: There we go. There we go. You've got a book there that you wanted to share with
1: me. I have. Um, I, I think maybe some listeners will have heard of um, Robert McFarlane. Paul, who is um, sometimes our producer, was actually taught, he was lucky enough to be taught by Robert McFarlane at uni. And he is just the biggest defender of the vocabulary of the natural world. And he is also fascinated by the connection between poetry and landscape. And he has travelled up and down uh, the British Isles and just documented the local vocabulary, the local natural vocabulary of um, various places. And I would just recommend Landmark um, to anybody. Landmarks, it's called. um, Because he's written with such a poet's eye and it's just beautiful. And he's trying to collect the sort of vanishing vocabulary of our countryside. Wonderful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I should just say that... Country, the countryside is a really hard time of it when it comes to people living in it, because they're the bumpkins, which comes from Dutch for a little barrel. They're the yokels, which goes back to the green woodpecker, meaning green and naive. Whereas, of course, if you live in the city, as you do, you are urbane, which is linked to urban. And heathens, you know, they lived on the heath. So they've had a really rough time of it, very unfairly. OK, yes. it's time for our
0: trio, our three unusual words, interesting words. What have you
1: got? Yes, so this is actually, these are um, as a tribute to Robert McFarlane because they are from um, his books. Um, so, Roke, R-O-K-E, is a word from East Anglia uh, for fog that rises in the evening off marshes and water meadows. I can
0: picture it. Roke. It is. Yeah, you
1: really can, can't you? Yeah. Um, and, um, okay, I'm, I'm literally just dipping in and and just coming up because they're all so beautiful. Slidder. A slidder in Scotland in northern England is a hollow running down a hill. A slidder. A slidder. Isn't that really beautiful? And this is one that actually links to something rhymes with purple, because as we said, something does rhyme with purple. There are a few words which our listeners love to guess at, but herple is one of them, isn't it, which is to walk with a limp. And this one is to striddle from Northern Ireland to walk uncomfortably, perhaps after a long march. So that's sort of herpling. It is herpling. I like striddling as well.
0: Yeah. Well, we've enjoyed striddling and herpling with you. Thank you for your company. If you've enjoyed us, do please give us a nice review somewhere and spread the word. Please do. Tell our friends. You can communicate with us, as you know, purple at somethingelse.com. And if you want to play our Ein game, we've been playing the game today, you know, um, Anserine being goose-like, Aquiline being eagle-like, Asinine being ass-like, Susie-Line being Susie-like. Well, we can invent our own. We can. So between now and the time we ne- meet next, will you invent a few? Oh, give it a go. Give it a go. it yeah, a go. brand,
1: Ryan, brand Ryan. Maybe yeah. something better
0: than that. I know, you can do better than I that. I think I can. I worked out the other day that Brandreth is a substructure of piles.
1: Oh, that's right. That's but isn't depressing. that archaeological?
0: It is, I suppose so. But it's also an anagram of Bernhardt.
1: Ah. You think of the great
0: Sarah Bernhardt. Yeah. I'm quite excited about that. She's
1: behind the story of Breaking a Leg. We'll have to come to that someday.
0: Oh, we will, because mm. she played Hamlet... With a broken leg, didn't she? She carried on. And we carry on regardless. Come wind, and there's been some today, uh, come rain, from us. you will find us a new one every week, Something Rhymes With Purple. If you like it, please give us a review, rate us, help us spread the word.
1: Uh, Something Rhymes With Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Lawrence Bassett, Steve Ackerman, our honoured guest today, and Gully.
0: Oh, is Gully batty, bovine, catty, cocky, crabby, foxy, lousy? Mousy, mousy, mulish, ratty, sheepish.